Please be seated. One of the things that I found in my relationship with Christ over the years is that I learn a lot from worship. And sometimes I'm, have you ever had one of those situations where you're learning what you already knew? I, I have this all the time. Uh, if I could ever remember everything that I knew at one point, I'd probably be a pretty smart fellow, um, but I don't. It leaks all the time. And one of the things that just really struck me as we were worshiping together is um, it's been a long time since I've heard clapping here. And so that was really awesome. And that's actually a mode of worship. And I was in a small group this morning and the whole concept of worship came up and you know, what it means to just be completely yielded before the Lord. And, and I was reminded that, that clapping is not just keeping time. It's actually a form of worship. It, it is uh, every bit the form of worship of raising hands or kneeling or other things that we might consider to be more kind of typical forms of worship. You know, clapping is a form that God has given to us. And so much so that the scripture says that even the trees of the field clap their hands. And so trees don't have hands, but when the spirit of the Lord moves, the wind is blowing, those limbs move. And so that just that expression of gratefulness to God happens even in making noise by putting our hands uh, together. I was also reminded about just a praise being an act of life and that when my lungs are exercising and I'm breathing in and out that that ought to be and I was convicted it's like Lord you know I've breathed a lot this week and I'm not sure that I've once thought that I'm expressing praise to the Lord even in giving thanks and so that's been a it's been a um, it was convicting for me I don't know about you all but that was really convicting for me so I, I pray that as you come as we sing together as God's people that you allow his Holy Spirit to also teach you uh, he's teaching me and and I I, if I can learn, I would hope that you all certainly can learn too. Um, being able to give thanks, this is a wonderful time of year, not only time to, to get together with family, uh, to enjoy good food, but also to remind ourselves that we have someone to be thankful to and something to be thankful for. It doesn't matter where we're at in our station of life, whether it be really easy or very complex and, and diff, deeply difficult uh, we have the opportunity to give thanks because we know from whom all things come, even the existence that we currently are either enduring or enjoying. It all comes from him, and so that we have an opportunity to really be thankful. And I pray that this week, you not just make Thanksgiving the day, but it would be a thanks going on. And, and for me, that in worship, that's what I was challenged to do, is I breathe this week, which I plan on doing regularly, uh, as I breathe this week, to make those an expression of thanks to the Lord so that the breath on my lips is indeed his praise. We've been going through the letter to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to encourage you to get your Bibles and to open them up. We're going to read a little bit longer of a passage, but as we're finding out, when, when Paul was writing to the church, he was writing things that were very much common to the human experience. And as we read them now, we find that these things that are very common to the human experience still apply to us today. And so now we have to be challenged by them, either challenged because we need to adjust our behavior, or challenged because we need to protect our behavior, or challenged just because we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus. And 
Everything is centered around in this letter. In fact, all of scriptures as to who we are in relationship to God. And as God is, as he's expressed himself in Jesus Christ, who are we in relationship to who Jesus is? And one of the things that this world desperately needs is, is not the next great music program, is not the next great motivational speaker, is not the next great program for children or for young adults, not the next great self-help program. What this world really needs is people who are called by God through Christ Jesus in their relationship with him to reflect that as a being of who they are every day and to increasingly become more and more the reflection of who they are in Christ rather than more and more the reflection of what's going on in the culture or more and more a reflection of their own self-willfulness or fill in the blank. We're called in Christ Jesus to become more and more full of him so that people see less and less of us and see more and more of Christ's work in us. It's not a loss of self, it's really a gaining of self. Because then we know who we really are because we know who we were created to be. Does that make sense? I mean, if we don't know anything about where we've come from other than our genealogy, if we don't know anything about why we're here other than some test that we took that said what our talents are and what we stink at or our weaknesses, then that, that ends in just oblivion. But if we know that we're part of what God is weaving together for eternity and that we're going to be part of this incredible tapestry, which Paul has already written in his letter, you, know, you are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that, you would, that he's prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. If we know that this is the reality and that we're part of this incredible thing that God's doing in the omniverse, then it gives us a place and a purpose and a drive to do not things that other people will approve of, but to do things that really reflect the life that's in us. And I think as Christians, we, we, we're, we're forgetting that. Or maybe we forgot. Getting back to what I shared with you, if I remembered everything that I once knew, I'd be pretty smart. But we've had spiritual leaking. We've forgotten that this is who we are in Christ. We're part of this incredible thing that we're doing and that we're reflecting that truth, that life, that reality in him. And when we don't do that, then all sorts of terrible things happen. Some things more terrible than others, but all terrible. And so this struggle is not something that's new. It's not something that's novel. It's something that's part of the human condition. And so Paul very clearly focuses in on some things that we really need to take away. And in this particular time of growing up to be real family, growing to be real family, he really challenges the church at Ephesus and the church in this place in Highland Hills in Fort Thomas to be full of discernment. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, but let's uh, read the passage. Verse 6, chapter 5 of Ephesians. I hope that you're there. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. These people, the ones who are excusing their sins. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have what? Light from where? From the Lord. 
So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and what? True. Which we've been told repeatedly over the past several decades in particular, there is no such thing. You know, your truth and my truth, there is no such thing. You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. And as long as we don't hurt each other, it'll all be fine, which is a lie, but another passage. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines upon them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be what? About what? How we live. Be careful about how you live. Do you know anybody that's reckless in how they live? I know I do. Have you ever been that way? I know I have. So be careful about how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, he's going to continue to go on, but we're going to stop there. We're going to talk about the difference between being discerning and being deceived. The passage that we began to read gives us the warning that we can be deceived by absolutely nothing. Verse 6 says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins, for the anger of God will fall on those who disobey them. So we've got this idea as human beings that we can do as we do, and that if we are good enough making excuses for it, that it's all going to be okay. And that works up to a certain point, doesn't it? You know, if... uh, Something as easy as cookies. Mom bakes cookies, got them out on the counter, says cookies are for later, right? But cookies call you. They have these little voices, don't they? Come get me, come get me, come get me. And so you know what you're supposed to do, and you know what you want to do, and what you want to do, and what you're supposed to do, different things. So... I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know they are all laid out on the counter getting cool, which they're not normally as good cool as they are warm. So you look at the counter and you say, okay, which one's going to be the least missed? Some of you are already there. I didn't get the sentence out. You already know this, this whole strategy, don't you? Okay, which one's going to be the least missed? So that's the one. So you pick out that one, and it looks like it's going to be a little bit more missed than you thought it would be. So what do you do? You rearrange it, you know, so that the one that looked like it wouldn't be missed but now would be missed is now no longer missed because there's a covering of that. I mean, it's just cookies, folks. That's all that is, just cookies. But we we love to make excuses. Well, you know, I am hungry, and this cookie won't be missed, right? In fact, we'll move the other cookies so they can be together and they can still call out, you know, come get me, come get me, and it'll all be okay. 
And we do that with cookies and we do that with everything in our life and we continually do that because we can be deceived by nothing. One of the news stories that I read this, this week was about deception on Facebook and how there's people on, on Facebook who have these ads who are targeted towards people who are more conservative in their mindset. And, and, and I'm not talking conservative politically, I'm talking conservative financially. And so these people more conservative financially have lost tens, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars getting sucked into these scams about buying um, precious metals through Facebook that they saw the ads, and they're buying nothing. So they've transferred their money thinking that they're getting something safe, but they've actually purchased nothing. And so now they've given something, their funds, to buy nothing. And these are people that are generally very careful about what they do, how they spend. And that's what really caught my eye about this particular news story, is here's people that generally would be immune to this kind of behavior. They got sucked in by a lie. Because the lie was so well-crafted to make them think that they were still being very conservative, being very careful. It's just part of the human condition is that we can be deceived by absolutely nothing. And that the more dark there is, the easier it is to be deceived. I, I know this is kind of kind of press some boundaries, but you'll forgive me. It's Bible. You know, Jacob fell in love with a woman some of you know the story thousands of years ago and he he was he had it bad for this girl so I went to ask the dad uh, hey I'd love to marry your daughter and well the dad had more than one daughter and so the one that Jacob fell in love with in fact he really he was head over heels uh, she was the younger one and the older one was a nice girl but not the looker that the younger one was and not as desirable as the younger one. And so dad got it in his mind that he would trick the lover and say, yeah, you can have my daughter. It'll cost you seven, you know, $7, you know, seven cows, no, seven years. And so Jacob was so smitten. Seven years, not a problem. I'm there. So when's that wedding date? I mean, that, that's, a long, that's a long courtship. So seven years came and went, and the party was a good party. And at the nighttime, when the husband's to take the bride away, at that time to the tent, it wasn't the one that he had bargained for that showed up. He was deceived. And I'm just thinking, well, how in the world does this happen in this passage just reminded me of how in the world lots of things can happen in the dark right can you imagine his surprise the next day when the light is shining when he is awoke and it's not the one he'd worked seven years for the scripture this is i'm not making this story up the scripture he, they, he's had a had a big time conversation with the dad over that but now there was no going back and it's uh an interesting story to see how it all works out and unfolds over several generations, actually. But it really proves the point. When we allow ourselves to take that first lie and then we compound it by being someplace where we can't see clearly what's going on, then anything can happen. Even something as incredible as marrying the wrong person, which happened 
And I'm sure that's not the last time in human history that that has happened. So the remedy for this, this circumstance, this very human thing, is to be people of light, to see things in the light, and to practice discernment, the ability to separate what is true from what is a lie. So let's see what we can do positively to move toward where we need to be so that we can be people who are full of discernment. The very first thing that Paul writes to the church, he says that discernment recognizes goodness and rightness and truth. He says, don't participate in the things that other people do. For once you were full of darkness, now you've been in the light for the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces what is good and right and true. So how do we know what's good and right and true? Because even in our culture now, things that are not good are called good, and even things that are not right are called right, and even things that are not true, well, we don't care about truth, so it's your truth and my truth is whatever truth. There is no such thing. So how do we do that? I believe that it all comes back to taking it back to that where we started out with how does this fit into what God is doing in this world? Because if, if we only measure by us, then we can't really tell what is good and right and true because that is changing over and over and over again. But if we measure by what God is doing, then all of a sudden light is shining on what is good and right and true. I was talking with my brother about my building project and we were talking about things that we had planned in our heads and maybe even put down on paper it didn't work out the way that it was working out. He was sharing with me uh, that in, in his building project, he put it in addition onto his house. In his, his building project, he bought pre-made roof trusses, okay? So they're all the exact same, and they were made in, the, in, in a facility that measures everything out, so everything was the exact same. And so he, he built his wall, and he put up his roof trusses and nailed them down. But when he got to the end, he didn't have as much left over at the end as he did at the beginning, and be, the reason why is because his wall was not true. It wasn't what's called square, which the old term is true. But he, he didn't know that because he was measuring against himself. So it wasn't until it was all done and he's looking down, it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? Because the wall is not true. Well, how did that happen? And it happened because he was measuring against, and we do this as human beings. We look at people around us and say, well, this isn't as big of a deal. This is good because it's not as bad as that. Or this is good because it compares to that. And if we're consistently doing that as people, particularly as Christians, we lose all sorts of ability to discern what is good and right and true and what isn't good and right and true. But if we go to the scripture and say, okay, Father, what is it that is good for this circumstance? We talked last week about the things that we speak. And this is a huge challenge for all of us. It's a huge challenge for me. Is what I just said building somebody up? Is it encouraging them to come into a deeper relationship with Christ? Is it going to be helpful for them an hour or a day or a week from now? Or is this going to be just an expression of my current upset or an opinion that is maybe 
well-based, maybe not well-based, but has no eternal impact whatsoever. You know, these are very practical ways of thinking. It's what I'm going to say going to have any sort of reflection in my relationship with Christ. And even the very thought is going to change the way that we speak, isn't it? Particularly in the heat of the moment. Is the shows that I watch. I, I don't have cable, haven't had it in many, many years, don't do satellite. You know, I, we don't have broadcast TV because there's a hill in the middle of where I'm living and all the TV waves just kind of stop there. So um, don't have a big antenna to get them. And you know, some unlimited things that I can stream. And it's always the question, you know, is this that I'm consuming now good and right and true? Or is it something that I'm just allowing my brain to be rolled over in and ideas to be introduced to me that are helpful, hurtful, don't know. So do, do you see, I could go on. Do you see how the light, that this becomes very applicable in our lives? That by asking the question, is this part of what God's doing in my life? Then it completely changes the way that we relate to the experiences that we have in our lives. We could go to in our relationships with people. Am I interacting in a way that's driving them to know the love of Christ more fully? Am, am I interacting in a way that's encouraging them to find out what it is that is their part and what God's doing in this incredible work that he's doing on this planet in the midst of all this evil and garbage and things that are going on? Or is it something else? And this is what Paul's talking about. Y'all getting really quiet on me. It, this, this is tough, isn't it? I mean, because this is not the what we're used to doing. We're used to just kind of doing life and not being bad and coming to church, finding out some things that we needed to know to maybe not as be as bad as we could be, and then we just move on. But there's so much more for us, all of us, to be involved in this, in this thing that God is doing. And this is what Paul, from prison, is crying out to the church to remember. So discernment recognizes goodness and rightness and truth. And it recognizes it not by some standard of some religiosity, but by that relationship with God, knowing what he's doing and actively seeking to be a participant in that. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Discernment does that. We can always deceive ourselves, right? We can always be tricked into buying metals that are supposed to be precious, but that don't really exist. These are things that we can do as human beings. We can deceive others and we can deceive ourselves. But if we're being careful and saying, okay, is what I'm doing honoring to the Lord? Is what I'm doing pleasing to the Lord? Is what I'm doing advancing his kingdom? Because I think even in church, oftentimes we can convince ourselves that we're standing for what's right, but at the same time be tearing down what God is building. And so being careful says, okay, I can stand for what's right, but I can do it in such a way that's actually building up God's people. And let's just be honest with each other. That's a complicated thing to do. To, to think. That's why Paul writes, carefully consider this. Because sometimes the, the solutions aren't just real easy. We just can't snap them. Oh yeah, this is no big deal. Sometimes they are, but oftentimes it's like, I don't know, I'm going to have to really think through this. See, how I can please the Lord when I'm going to have to tell somebody, hey, what you're doing is wrong. 
How can I please the Lord when I'm going to have to not participate in something that everybody else is doing? You know, how can I please the Lord when, and then fill in that blank? Discernment does that. It motivates those of us who belong to Christ to please him. Let me give you just a, an easy example. I grew up in a, in a home where there was just a lot of coming and going. There was four of us kids, all of us pretty well full of energy, and we constantly had folks coming in and out. My parents um, did not know any better because they were adults when they came to know Christ, and so when they were given the Bible and it said, read this and do the things it says to do in it, they didn't know any better. They didn't know that there was another way, you know, to be the religious way. So when it said, you know, somebody needed some place to, to sleep, you gave them a place to sleep, some place to eat, you gave them something to eat, clothing, do that, you know, that whole Matthew 25 thing. They just didn't know any better. So they just did it. So we had people like living at our house and um, for periods of time, all my growing up here, it's just, there was a lot of chaos. I'm just put it that way. Jesus does not promise that our lives are going to be this orderly, you know, on Monday I do this and Tuesday I do this, that's kind of thing. But he does promise that he will make us part of the order that he's doing. And so they believed it and lived it and we lived it with them. But one of the things that uh, us kids wanted to do is to please mom and dad. And one of the things that I knew is amidst all this chaos, that every now and again, mom would get really frustrated with the mess. You have three boys and a girl, very active. You have people coming and going. Um, the mess becomes really overwhelming. And my, my dad is a, is a collector of things that are free. I don't know if any of you are those or not. Uh, it, it's just way he's always been. I'm not sure if the, where that came from. I, maybe it was my grandfather. I have no, no idea. But he would always be collecting things. Mom collected things that were very inexpensive, but he collected things that were free. And normally things that are free are free because nobody, what, wants them, <laughs> except for my dad, who would say, oh man, I think I can do something with that. So anyway, so he'd bring them. There's this, this, always this incredible chaos of things. And so in order to please mom, occasionally my brothers and my sister and myself, we just go through and clean. It wasn't a chore. It's just the, we knew that the chaos limit was hitting the red and we wanted to please mom. And so we would clean, which of course you have kids that actually do that without being told. That's a pleasure all that amongst themselves. Please, if you have kids with you today, don't wear out your elbows poking them, okay? But we would do that. Why? Because we enjoyed cleaning of the four of us, only one of us did, I won't say who, um, but because we wanted to please mom. We wanted to have that joy that would have when she came home from being away, saying, wow, this place looks great. Thank you. you know, it's that very same kind of relationship that we're invited into with our Lord, that we think, we look and say, what's going on in my life that I could respond to that I know when the Lord sees it he's going to be pleased with it discernment motivates Christians to please the Lord discernment also exposes dead fruit verse 11 take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness instead expose them one of the great sorrows of my growing up has been how things that were once 
kept in the dark because they were evil are now out in the front all the time. And people are very proud of them. You know, there's the whole sexual part of our personhood as people that's just been drug out. You know, and now we're pushing every taboo in humanity. Pushing, 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 pushing constantly. And that's really easy to whack at. And so I'm not going to beat that because it's just too easy. You know, how about things that are a little bit more iffy? I remember when I was a kid that how I responded to adults was required um, careful thought. Because I could say what I wanted to say, but if I said it in the wrong tone or with the wrong vocabulary, I'm old enough that that was considered to be not acceptable. And not just by my parents, but by the community. And so if I was lippy to my folks, oftentimes when I was a little guy, and I grew up on the West Coast, which is I mean, y'all have lived here in northern Kentucky, southern Ohio. You have no idea how much different that culture is. But even there, it would not be unusual for a lippy young man to be told by somebody who maybe didn't even know him, you better watch out there, boy. Because there was this understanding of respect from the generations. Well, now we have entire entertainment industries that are built around being ugly verbally, especially to anything in authority. I mean, and that's just changed just in my lifetime. Now, there's always been this tension between authorities. There's nothing new to humankind. But there's been this radical change, hasn't there? Those of you that are old enough to know, there's been a radical change. And there's just, when, when you meet a young person who is innately respectful and is careful about how they say what they want to say, even if they disagree with you, you're like, wow, this is awesome. How we spend our funds. I was listening on the news today, and, um, or th this past week, and uh, it was, uh, I listened to National Public Radio, um, for those that wonder why I'm not quite right, but I, I do. And there was this long story about how people spend their, their entertainment money. And, and they were talking about how the average American family spends $100 a month on television. That's not the internet, including the television, that's on the television alone. So I'm good at math. 12 times 100 is 1,200 bucks. I've also been involved in the charitable world for a couple decades, so I know what the average American spends on charities in general, not just church, but charities in general. And I know that the average of what's spent on television, just television, not the internet, to get the television, if you're a streamer, cut the cord, whatever, and what is spent Investing in community through charitable works, not a balance. And so what value is that? And you can go on about all sorts of things. You know, the, what we spend on sports leagues, what we spend 
on other entertainments, all these things. I'm not saying that those things are inherently evil. Don't misunderstand me. But we accept things that we do as okay because other people are doing them, and we never evaluate. Is television really worth $1,200 of my hard-earned funds? And it was really weird because they were talking about how great everything was, and, and then they, they gave this other statistic about um, uh, the the median income of the household and the how all of that works together. And I'm thinking, you know, I can understand somebody that is above that line spending that much money, but somebody that's above, below that line can never understand. This is really illustrated for me um, years ago. I was called by the Community Action Center to go help a family with their finances. They said, hey, we, we've heard that you're really good at that. Uh, would you mind to go help this family? They've been through our, our system. We just can't seem to make any headway. I said, be sure, I'd be happy to. So they, they lived in a single-wide mobile home. The yard was very nicely kept, and, and so it was a little bit different than what I'd, I'd anticipated. So I, I went in, and, and their home is very neat. And, and so I sat down, and I said, okay, you know, the community action agency asked me to come help you, so we went through their finances. And in going through their finances, I found out that, that they had enough to meet their needs, food, clothing, shelter, transportation. They had enough to meet their needs, if and only if they would stop paying satellite television. This is some years ago. They had one of those big dishes out. I mean, not the ones that did the little ones. I mean, one of those big ones sitting out in their yard. I said, you know, this is actually really good news. I anticipated this to be far more difficult. You know, we've looked at all your expenditures of the things you do, and you have, you have extra. They said, no, we, we're short. We have to go to the food bank to get food and stuff like this. I said, I think you should need to continue, continue to do that, but you do have some money to where you have. You can even set some aside for emergencies, and there were emergencies in that place. I said, we just don't see it. I said, well, here, here it is. You spend $135 a month on television. He said, if you eliminate that, you go from a $110 deficit to a $25. You've got 25 bucks extra. You, know, you can actually go out and grab a hamburger if you wanted to. And, and they, they looked at me. I'll never forget. Very, very nice couple. But they looked at me and said, we, just, we, we can't do that. I said, you can't do what? He said, we cannot survive without television. They really said, I'm not making this up. I said, without clothes, without food, without shelter, and because you need to get places without transportation, I can get that. But what makes you think that you cannot survive without television? So what will we do? Wow. Discernment exposes dead fruit. In their particular case, their addiction to what was coming through the satellite was dead fruit. It was literally killing them. And there's no happy end to the story. They went into financial ruin because they could not and would not give up that particular thing. And that's what our life in Christ allows us to see in reality. I mean, it was perfectly clear. So what's perfectly clear in your life that needs to be exposed and got rid of? could be something as simple as TV. could be something much more complex than that. But that's the kind of things that our relationship with Christ and asking these questions allows us to understand. 
It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. Verse 14, for the light makes everything visible. That's why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Discernment keeps us awake. When we're sleeping, all sorts of things can happen. When we're sleeping, all sorts of things can get by us. But when we're watching and looking, we actually know what's going on so that we can be engaged in those things and move those things towards goodness and rightness and truth. And Paul says, this is not new to me. This is not new to our understanding of our relationship with God. This is far, far back in our history. Wake up, wake up. And when we understand what's going on, then that keeps us awake. When we understand that it's important for us to teach our children things that they can teach their children, that they in turn can teach their children, that keeps us awake. We understand that there's a value to things that need to be passed from generation to generation. I'm not just talking about character traits, but actual physical things. And we invest in those things that can be passed down from generation to generation. That keeps us awake. But when we consume the moment the way that we're encouraged to do it by our culture today, we fall into a stupor and eventually sleep. And then we don't know why things are the way that they are. But when we're awake, we can be vigilant. I, I love this. Uh, this is illustrated for me very, very early in my pastorate. There was, there was a, a fellow that was a deacon, and his name was Oval, like the shape. And which I thought, why would you... I mean, just like, what is that, like the shape of his head? And, you know, the kid came out and said, you know, what if he'd been rounder? Would they have been named him Circle? I don't know. But, um, or Boxy, Square? I just, I always wondered that, and I, I never had the guts to ask him. Uh, he was a wonderful man. And uh, there was somebody that was trying to stir up some gossip. And Oval was one of those guys that was always awake. And so they made the mistake of stirring it up in his presence. And he put the slap down on it like this. He said, uh, he was an older gentleman when, when I first came to know him. He said, listen, that tears down the body of Christ and it's not advancing anything. You need to be quiet. You need to do it right now. I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. And so, I, you know, that was on the inside. I, I just kind of let it go at the time. But I, at first opportunity, I went to Oval and I said, hey, Oval, why did you do that? I mean, I've never seen anybody do that before. He said, I understand the absolute destructive nature of things that are said in this gossip. And because I'm one of the people that are responsible for it, this congregation, I try to do everything I can as gently as I can. And this one wasn't very gently. I mean, he just put the slap down on it because it was pretty ugly what was getting said to point people to things that build up and not tear down. It's like, and you do this a lot? He said, well, I mean, as much as it's required. I said, wow. So I just kind of tucked that back in my brain, and I watched him to see if that was a consistent thing. And do you know what? It really was. It was very consistent. And do you know what? Because he was consistent with identifying things like that, that was gossip, that was destructive, that wasn't advancing God's kingdom in any way, that created an environment in that particular community to where it wasn't just if Oval was there or not that other people would do the very same thing because it was recognized for what it was, destructive, and it was pushed away. It was pushed away. And so there was a peace that was in that place that was just phenomenal 
because one person did what he was supposed to do and exposed the deeds of darkness, brought them out into the light. He didn't call the person any bad names or deride them or anything. He just said, stop, that's it. And it created this ripple effect that although Oval has gone in that community to this very day, that legacy continues. Discernment keeps us awake. It allows us to confront even the things that need to be put away. Lastly, discernment watches where we step. Verse 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make most of every opportunity in these evil days. One of the things that's always... um, I've always wondered about is one of my responsibilities as a kid was to clean up the mess that the dogs left. And we always had at least one dog, normally multiple dogs. And if you feed dogs, they, they leave stuff behind. You familiar with this? Okay. So that was one of my responsibilities. One I really enjoyed, not. Um, and so our dogs, there was a specific day that I had to go out and take care of what they left behind. And, and so I'm a thinker. And so I'm out there as a, as a kid, eight, nine, ten years old, with my um, shovel. We, had, we always like to get the pointy shovel, and we're looking for the yard bombs, is what we called them. And um, be really careful. But oftentimes, I'd miss a yard bomb. Instead, I would step in it. Okay. Y'all ever done that? Okay, some of you have, because you're smiling at me. You're just like, ah, ha, ha, you know. And, and so I got to thinking, how many legs do I have? How many legs do dogs have? How is it that me with two legs can step in it, and they with four never do? And so I started watching the dogs. And I think that that's part of the whole sniffing thing. This is Bob's brackets, okay? This is not Bible. I just want to share this with you. Because y- y- y'all have been depressed on me here. Because I- I- I've been in your face. But I'm not me. I'm just teaching God's word. But- so we're going to smile for just a minute. So I think this is what the sniffing thing is all about. You know, dogs will run out and they immediately start sniffing the ground. I think that that's yard bomb radar. They don't want to step in it. So they're like establishing the territory so that they can get out there and leave something for somebody else to step in. That's what I'm thinking. And so they go out. And I've been watching dogs for years. I mean, decades now. And I, I'm always watching. And I'm, I'm just looking for the time that one of those dogs didn't pay attention, maybe forgot to sniff, and lands in it. And I'm going to just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. You see, this is what we're supposed to do as people who belong to Christ, we, we get our spiritual noses down on the ground and we're looking for where the yard bombs are so that when we go out, we're not stepping in it. Because when you step in it, what do you, how do you normally know? Do you normally know immediately? Sometimes, yes. If you really step in it, you know it immediately. But oftentimes, you don't know and you're back inside and it reminds you what you did, right? That's the worst. It's bad enough to step in it to know it immediately. It's far worse to step in it and not know it until you get inside. Because then you got to clean up what you stepped in on the outside. I know this is really kind of low 
but I think it's something that all of us can really relate to. That we live life in such a way not to be hyper-religious, not to be so constrained in what we do and how we live that we cannot enjoy what Jesus promised to be an abundant life, but that we live in such a way that reminds us that even though I only have two legs and they have four, I'm much more likely to step in it than they are. So I'm going to live carefully. And so when I walked out there with my pointed shovel, I was careful. Now, it wasn't 100% effective. It just kind of shows the difficulty of living that way. But it was far more effective than if I just run through the yard not paying any attention. So all of these things that Paul's written to us really come down to allowing the Holy Spirit to shine his light in our lives, to show us the things that are in our lives that need to be taken away because we all have dead fruit in our life. Get rid of it. Things that don't belong, get rid of it. And to see the world in a way that we can know what's good and right and true and identify it. And then live carefully towards that end because it's really easy to step in it. It's much more fun not to. True. It is true. And we forgot that as Christians. It's much more fun to not step in it. Everybody else may be stinking up the whole world, but we don't have to be part of that. In Christ Jesus, we can actually stay out of it. And not for the sake of our own purity and cleanliness, but for the sake of his great name. By which we're called, by which we are rescued from the power and penalty of our sin, by which we are indwelled through his Holy Spirit and given the authority to advance. All of these things are gifts to us because of Jesus in us. And we need to remember that. We need to live that way. We need to share that with other people so that they can also know that, remember it, and live that way. Father, I thank you for the privilege of what you've done. And Lord, as I've continued to ask the big ask in this place, to do the thing in this community that I can't imagine, but you did, and that I can't impact, but that you will. Lord, I just want to ask that as we look toward sharing your table together, that, Father, that um, you'd be working in our hearts, and, Lord, that you would shine the light in my life. And, God, even as I confess before these brothers and sisters of just being challenged in, you know, not every breath has been to give you praise this week and there's been some breaths that I probably need to take back. In fact, I do need to take back. God, that you continue to just work in our hearts to convict us so that we would surrender more and more of ourselves to you so that this place indeed would be full of goodness and rightness and truth because you are filling us with those things and we're practicing them in great liberty. God, I thank you for the privilege of being honest before you in this place.
for the things that you're doing even now. Lord, I'd ask that you do them to their fullness for the sake of the increased shine of your Son, Jesus Christ. For I ask these things in his name. Amen.